Welcome. We trust you will be encouraged by this message from Bonnie Chavda by Chavda Ministries International. Real love, real people, real power. Good morning, saints. And it is a good morning. He is risen. Yes, he is. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So that scripture that I quoted from Psalm 110 about uh, Jesus crossing death and coming up as the mighty warrior, the drink from the brook, you probably notice that the senior pastor isn't present. And um, we had a long and glorious Seder uh, celebration with some wonderful Israeli messianic friends on Friday night. And um, then, you know, we're just kind of taking it easy yesterday. But late in the day, Pastor started not feeling all that great. And as time progressed, we kind of thought, well, maybe we should just go and make sure everything's okay. And he is in the hospital with a needle stuck in his arm, getting his electrolytes put back in. <laughs> in other words, he's not ill, he was dehydrated. So he's drinking from that other brook, <laughs> and it will lift up his head. I talked to him just before I came to service. He sends his vibrant and happy resurrection greetings and his apologies that he's not here. And I've determined that in my house you shall not eat unless you first drink. You shall not pet the dog unless you first drink. You shall not do anything unless you first drink. So... We bless him and we pray for him. But he's doing great, and um, so here we are, and you get me. So, praise the Lord. So, um, it seems there was a, a man driving down a country road that came upon the Easter Bunny, who happened to be in the middle of the road just as he came around the curve. Though he tried to avoid him, the man ran over the Easter Bunny. The basket went flying with all his colorful eggs scattered all over the place, and the man immediately pulled over and went to see about the welfare of the famous rabbit. But it was too late. He had killed the Easter Bunny. He was distraught over what he had done, really grieved that um, he had killed anything. But now, much worse, he had ruined Easter forever for countless children who wouldn't be getting their Easter presents. So he just stood by the side of the road sobbing. And about that time, a woman coming from the other direction saw him pulled over. Uh, she pulled over to see what was going on, and the man explained what had happened and pointed out the dead Easter bunny now laying by the side of the road. The woman told him to calm down. It would be all right, that she knew just what to do. And she went over to her car and dug something out of her trunk and went to the dead rabbit and sprayed the entire contents of the can onto the bunny. And a surprising thing happened. The Easter bunny jumped up and waved his paw at them. And he gathered up all his eggs and went hopping down the road for about 50 yards and turned around and waved at them again. He hopped another 50 yards and turned around and waved again. And he continued to do the same thing again and again until he was out of sight. The man was utterly astounded. He said, what did you do? She held up the can so he could read the label. Hairspray restores life to dead hair, adds permanent wave. 
Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Some of you know that I died once. In fact, I died twice. Um, it was during the time of my pregnancy with Aaron. And I've testified to you that what happened is the me that is all me actually just exited the outside shell that you identify as me and went up. And in the presence of the Lord, I saw past, present, and future all at once. And there with Jesus, I saw into the future Mahesh and what was then our three small children at my memorial service, which would be, you know, a few days in the future from that moment. And I can tell you, there was absolutely no contact with any sense of regret or sorrow or shock or trauma or certainly death or anything like that. It just literally disappeared from the entire context. And I was standing with the Lord looking on my family in front of my casket at my memorial service, and I remarked to Jesus, that's a rotten thing to do. Almost, in, and in fact, it was just, you know, kind of typical of my personality. And instantly, I was back in my body, which I had been hemorrhaging for weeks in terrible pain and uh, in and out of delirium and various other kinds of things. Terrible things were, were happening. From that experience, you might well imagine that I can testify to you if you haven't had your own pre-death death experience yet, that it literally for believers is one breath to the next. You do not cease being you. You continue to have your personality, believe it or not. God made us a way that he loves and he enjoys. And it is utter freedom. Utter freedom. I remember um, uh, one of Domatilla, one of the uh, ladies in Africa that was raised from the dead. And in her experience, as she was exiting and going to the Lord, um, what had happened is she was in a prayer meeting and angels came in. She thought they were two men joining the prayer meeting. So the dynamic between heaven and earth is actually very, very real, very, very thin. Not just when you're dying now, the Bible says we are now, we now have come to the city of God, to innumerable company of angels. And these two men came in and came over to her and said, we want you to come with us. And as she stood up, they took something off of her that at that moment was like a heavy cloak of some kind. And as they were leaving and literally flying away from the earth, she looked back and there on the ground, she saw what she thought was the carcass of a dead cow. And when they brought her back later, they brought her back and put that carcass on her. And she realized that was her mortal body. And it did take her a few days not to be revived, but for the dead smell to go away. And she was actually dead for three days before she was resurrected. So this time of year, and particularly this year, as we have said and as you know, the Feast of Passover, the very days and hours of Passover this year 
all around the world are coinciding with the days and hours of the event of Easter on the calendar. And in fact, today is the day of first fruits. Say first fruits. And uniquely, first fruits is the reference to the resurrection. So literally on the calendar this year, this Sunday is actually Resurrection Sunday on the calendar. Isn't that something? And we find ourselves right in the middle of the events of our day and continual encouragement from the Lord that we have been preserved. We have been saved. Jesus has revealed himself to us and given us his spirit and his word for exactly this hour. So everyone has a relevant, important, and vibrant part to play in God's demonstration in this hour. And we are so thankful. So you can look around the room because the reality is we will know and love and enjoy one another forever. And we will be doing exploits together. I don't know how many cities Cyrus is going to rule over with the flag of glory. But a lot. Deborah is going to be ruling over cities. We have no idea the glories that wait for us. But the central point of the entire gospel, though we focus on it in our churches, our church tradition, we do focus, focus, focus on the cross and his delivering us from sin. But in a funny way, I think the church has neglected the real message of the gospel, the very thing that made the first disciples live in vibrant faith in the face of fighting uh, beasts in, in the, you know, the Roman theaters and uh, suffering all kinds of incredible martyrdom and, and going on dangerous journeys and pressing through. And we, we just have a little glimpse in our scripture of all that they did. But why was it? They witnessed the resurrection. They had seen it with their eyes. And Jesus said to those very disciples, the blessed ones are those who are coming after you who have not seen this and yet they believe. That's us. That's us. Say, that's you. Turn to somebody, say, that's you. You are blessed because you believe. And never overlook the fact that your faith is such an astounding miracle because it is something God has done for you. He chose you in advance to reveal himself to you specifically. And when you struggle with people around who don't believe in Jesus or resist the Christian faith, this is a gift we've received. So let us open it fully, partake of it entirely, cherish it forever. Because Jesus is reigning and Jesus is coming. And we are in expectation of that. A recent worship song, recent saying, it's not one of the old hymns, in Christ alone. And the end of that song says, there in the ground he lay, his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. 
No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Can we say that together? Jesus commands my destiny. Amen. No power of hell or scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Amen? Easter is the most important holiday in Christendom. It's not Christmas. It's Easter. Because Easter is the mark of the turning of the cosmos on the divine exchange at Calvary and the continuing redemption of God, demonstrating his power and the fulfillment of his promise in raising Christ from the dead. Praise the Lord. He is risen. The resurrection means delivered from second death by second birth. You must be born again. Every living person will die a mortal death between now and when Christ returns. And the Bible clearly declares that there is death in the body at the end of every person's mortal life. But it also reveals that death in the body is not the end of a person's existence. And I think this is one of the things that we forget to think about or even talk about. But human beings have a sense. They have a sense that is an innate sense concerning the ongoing nature of human existence. But the Bible reveals the future eternal existence is predicated on a living connection to the Son of God who is the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. And this is exactly why the gospel is essential for every person to have eternal life. Because he takes us supernaturally into his resurrection life. And without that, every man, every human will experience the first death but also then that second one that doesn't mean a dying, but literally means a living, eternal separation from God and from all life as life is light and good and joy. I, so we, we don't really know other than the fact we understand the essential nature of the gospel and the centrality of its message is we receive eternal life and deliverance from judgment that would otherwise be against us and uh, um, convict us, condemn us to that second death in separation from God. And this is what Resurrection Sunday and in fact the entire gospel is all about. The fear of death historically has been the number two leading anxiety of persons everywhere. Right after, you know what the first one is? Public speaking. <laughs> but as I said, I believe that fear of death is a literal indicator of an inner knowledge of existence beyond 
present life and present knowledge. Um, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 55, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. And there is only one remedy, one medicine for that fear. And that is the knowledge through Jesus Christ, the first fruit, the resurrected one, that you will not face the second one. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, mortal, Christ also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The mission of God was to become mortal in the Son, specifically in order to put death to death once for all. And this is why there is salvation in no other, and you must be born again. Does that make sense? And it's so simple. And thank God it's not hidden. But we are the messengers of this message. And so today... I pray that God will help us, and if he helps me with the message that I've put together, I want to give us a quiverful of new arrows as a means of equipping and sustaining us and raising us up again in the fresh confidence and assurance of the resurrection and the power of it in our lives today. People asked Jesus for a sign that he came from God, and he gave them the sign of the resurrection. That is Jonah spending three days and nights in the belly of the whale, and Christ promised he would spend three days in the tomb and then rise again. Jesus is the first fruits of all who will overcome death. And today on the Jewish calendar, Resurrection Sunday in the Christian calendar, this is the day of the first fruits. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So take a fresh impartation of this reality. He's drawn us in to his amazing, epic, romantic adventure and story. The great hero has called us to follow him. As today is the Feast of the first fruits on the Jewish calendar, two days after the Passover, the day the two Marys went to the tomb and found it empty, an angel waiting to give them the good news. So turn to your neighbor and shout, today is a day of good news. Turn to your other neighbor and say, Christ is risen. There are many references, five in particular, in the New Testament about this day, about the first fruits and about Christ being the first fruits and us then following in his wake as the first fruits of God. And all of it is talking about the the fact that he has and then has given to us victory over dying, the last death. Praise the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And don't you love it? The Christian's perspective of a person dying is they're going to sleep for the night, meaning they'll wake up in the morning. Praise the Lord. Romans 8 not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, even the redemption of our bodies. 
And you remember when Jesus came out of the grave, he came out in an indestructible body. He could walk through walls, but he could also eat. He could instantly disappear in one place and appear in another, but he could also build a fire and cook fish that he just grabbed out of the cosmos while his disciples were fishing. 1 Corinthians 15 again. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. And all of the biblical, all of the New Testament direction is the resurrection, that anticipation and hope, that empowering that we possess, and looking to the day when Christ comes. And we are with him. James 1, he chose to give us birth. Say birth. You must be born again. Two births for one death. One birth, two deaths. Mortal birth only, no second birth of faith in Christ. Mortal death and a second death. Praise the Lord. We also did something this morning that is traditionally very relevant in the center of the Jewish celebration of Passover, the ancient um, rites and procession, and that is the mitzvah or the blessing of the Bikurim. And that is the bringing of the offering of the first fruits to the temple in Jerusalem after a long pilgrimage and they would bring their harvest the best, the first of the seven different kinds of fruits and they would bring it into the temple. And that is where our tithe in addition to Abraham tithing to Melchizedek came together for the Christian tradition. So today, as you gave your tithe and your offering, you're participating in something that is very ancient, commanded by the Lord to be done. And um, when the first fruits were brought to the temple during the harvest festivals, the procession would come singing Psalm 150, which says, praise the Lord. Say, praise the Lord. Lord. So every time you give an offering or bring your tithe, do it with that resounding sense of praise the Lord. And um, in Psalm 150, it names nine different kinds of instruments, all kinds of noise and singing, and of course ends with let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Take a breath and say praise the Lord. (laughs) Praise the Lord. So with the tithe, the worshiper would throw himself down in front of the priest and he would make a declaration as he handed over his tithe. And it comes... um, From scripture, you shall call out and say before God, Laban sought to destroy my father Jacob. You remember all of that with Jacob's story? And he went down to Egypt and lived there with a small number of people and became great and mighty, a numerous nation. But the Egyptians treated us cruelly and afflicted us and imposed hard labor upon us. And we cried out to the God, the God of our fathers. He heard our voice. He saw our affliction, our labor, and our oppression. And he brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. And this phrase always is referring to the great miracles that God did. 
all of the strikes of the judgment of the 10 plagues and then bringing them out, remember, with silver and gold, the Egyptians put on them garments and gold and silver and possessions and said, go, go, go. Uh, and as Israel went out, soon they were entrapped between Pharaoh's pursuing army and the Red Sea. And once again, the Lord came down and he told Moses, stretch out your hand, stretch out your rod. Can you stretch out your rod today? That can be a symbol of the fact that you possess the, resur the resurrection of Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is referring dynamically to the reality that you will live forever in the power of the resurrection. So remember that, and sometimes when you're up against um, impossible odds or hemmed in between two difficult things, I encourage you, may the Lord bring this back to you, and you suddenly stand there, and if you're in a public place, just stretch out your hand, or if you're in a private place, stretch out your hand and say, I declare the power of the resurrection, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And the Red Sea parted. But the Red Sea also is significant. And the Pesach, the Seder dinner at Passover time in this season of the year is all about that event. And there are myriads of picturizations, of representation, of dynamic symbols of Christ laid out on the Seder table and in the Seder ritual and, and the sayings that's done. And the emphasis, God commanded the Jewish people, do this every year forever. Never let a year go by without retelling the story to your children. Sit them down around the table and get it into their spirits, into their hearts and minds, that they take on their salvation as their identity, that they belong to a people who belong to God, and how we need that revival in our children in this nation and in many nations in this generation. Amen? We've heard from Diane Dunn, the most incredible uh, testimony of what God is doing, even in the public school. And she has a second version of that testimony to share that is absolutely powerful. And I don't, Diane, should we do it today or maybe next Sunday? We can share it with pictures and, and all of that. But that, talk about the good leaven that multiplies that Jesus talked about, the gospel being like that. And that is exactly what's happening in the public schools now as a revival is breaking out and children are coming to the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Tell it to your children. He brought us out to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, say behold. I have brought the first fruit of the ground to you, O God, that which you have given to me. Jesus proved who he claimed to be, not through his miracles, not through his sayings, not even his explicit fulfillment of over 360 prophetic verses in Scripture in the Old Testament. He proved who he claimed to be when he rose from the dead. And on the first day of the week, the disciples found Jesus' tomb empty. Later, 500 people saw him, were with him, talked with him. And let us not forget the many who were raised from the dead. They did die again. But they were raised from the dead to live on for a season 
among the people of God, among the church, Paul references them, said some of those ones that were raised up then are still with us today, meeting with us in our congregations. Come on. Woo! I said on Friday night, can you imagine if Johnny Cook had been raised up when we prayed? That may, I guarantee you, you would not be able to sit in your seat. And I'm going to tell you the other thing. This place would be so full of people all the time to be able to see and hear from a man who had been dead and then raised in the presence of Christ to live again. Praise the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, the centrality and necessity of the resurrection provided in Jesus for the whole world. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. In other words, there's no reason to preach the gospel or come to church or believe in Jesus or any other thing if the resurrection isn't a historical fact. Your faith is in vain. We are even found to be mis misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ if it's true that the dead aren't raised. And you know there were dramatic theological schools and trains of thought, even among the Hebrew scholars, very influential on the Jewish people of the day. And some of them held the doctrine of the res resurrection of the dead. And some of them, the Sadducees, and that's why they were sad, you see, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now, this is Paul, and he was known to have been discipled in the rabbinical school that believed in the resurrection. So for him, even, this is a saying in reference to all of those ones from the other school, influenced by the other school, who may have still been clinging on to doubts about whether there was a resurrection. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, that's referring to people who have died in the mortal body, who have fallen asleep as Christians, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, say, but in fact, you know what I tell you, God always has a big... But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead and he is the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep, perhaps even in this service. The connection between Passover, and I'm emphasizing this today because of this unique moment on the calendar. The connection between Passover and the resurrection of Jesus is profound. In both events, for instance, we find the expression of lifnot boker, meaning right before the breaking of dawn, just before daybreak. In Exodus 14, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to drown Pharaoh's army after it had opened for the Israelites to cross over. Do not forget, or in fact, let me say, remember that it also is a picture of our baptism. And you remember when you were water baptized, it specifically is in reference to what Scripture says, that we are buried with him in baptism, going into the tomb, 
and assuming the, the context of uh, theoretically entering again into the womb of our mother, if you will, to, and then raised with him when we come up out of the water as a symbol of the new life of Christ in us and the absolute assurance of the resurrection of our own bodies to come and deliverance from the second death. Oh, my goodness. Praise the Lord. He stretched out his hand over the sea. The sea returned to its full strength just at the break of dawn, and the Egyptians fled or were drowned. Praise the Lord. He destroyed the power of death. John 20, on the first day of the week, just before the breaking of dawn, same reference, Lipnot Boker, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed. Praise the Lord. The Israelites left Egypt on the night of Passover, camped for two nights during the journey from Sukkot to Etam to Pi Herut in Exodus 13 and 14, and God opened the sea throughout the second night. And on the morning of the third day, they passed through the Red Sea and rose up to the other side. So in a way, even this last two days until today, from Friday to Saturday to this morning, on the calendar, that was the time frame that Israel was passing through death to life because of the Passover lamb. A picture for us. Praise the Lord. The angel of the Lord led them through the crossing. And as I said, it's a massive symbolic group baptism. Walking up out of the sea as a symbol of resurrection for the individual families and for the whole nation. After Jesus' crucifixion, his body was placed in the grave. His soul and his spirit descended into hell. Before dawn, on the third day, having destroyed just before the break of dawn, having destroyed the forces of hell, Jesus was raised by the Holy Spirit in his immortal body, and he went about for numbers of days on the earth. He walked out of the tomb. It was the same hour on the same day that the pillar of fire and cloud led Israel up out of the Red Sea more than a 1,000 years before. Come on. And all of these are reasons for Jesus being demonstrated in the Passover Seders year to year. And ultimately, God says that the veil that is over the Jewish people's face that is hiding the identity of the Messiah, that veil will be lifted. And Zechariah says, and it's possible, who knows, that it could happen in the Seder meal. Because Zechariah says, they will look on him whom they have pierced and mourn for him as for an only son. And in the middle of the Seder meal, the leader of the meal takes something called the afikomen, or the dessert, the part that comes after, and inside this special bag, there are three compartments with matzah in them. One, two, and three. And the father takes the one from the middle and 
I have to confess, I dropped it before I came up here, so it's broken already and it shouldn't be. But theoretically, he takes of the three whole and, and supposedly they represent Abraham, Isaac in the middle, the son, and Jacob. And also the revelation of Father, the Son in the middle, and the Holy Spirit. And let us not forget the story of resurrection with Abraham and Isaac. Because Abraham was told to take Isaac up onto Mount Moriah, the very mountain where the Son of God would be taken thousands of years later to become the ram caught in the thicket for us. And remember what Abraham said? He said to the servants, you stay here, the boy and I will go yonder and we'll come back to you again. And this is why the scripture calls Abraham the father of our faith. Because the New Testament tells us in Hebrews 11, that great faith chapter, that by faith Abraham offered Isaac knowing that God could raise him even from the dead in order to fulfill his promises that it was the seed that would come through Isaac. A beautiful picture of Christ. And we know that when Abraham was on the mountain, knowing that resurrection would come if Isaac died, the angel of the Lord, which we understand to be a Christophany, say Christophany, one of several pre-incarnate appearings of Jesus. When it says angel with a capital A, look for the Lord Jesus. He showed up to Gideon. He showed up to Joshua in front of Jericho. He showed up to Abraham on Moriah as he was about to slay his son. And he told Abraham to lift up his eyes and look and there was a ram caught in the thicket. And it says that Abraham named that place, that mountain, Mount Moriah, though we say Moriah, which means the mountain of seeing. It's speaking of the revelation of the Son of God that would come on that very mountain. Mount Moriah, Mount Moriah is the mountain range where the temple, the temple mount sits, where uh, Isaac would have been um, put on the altar, but also where Golgotha was outside the city gates, where Jesus ultimately was the ram caught in the thicket and given in exchange for us. This is so incredible. It's so amazing. We have been drawn into this very real and true, historic, eternal, cosmic, epic. He is risen. And he's in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo! Miriam, there by the Red Sea, led the Israelites in praise to God, singing, remember this one, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and its rider thrown into the sea. Come on. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and its rider. Woo! And it goes on to say, the Lord, my God, my strength and my song has now become my victory. 
So this is victory in advance of the redemption of our bodies. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is what resurrection is about. And during the um, Seder, at the beginning, in fact, one of the additional pieces is that the mother or a woman at the table lights two Hallel or praise candles. And the first one is in recognition of God setting us apart for his purposes. The candle of sanctifying us or consecrating us. That's a witness. And then the second praise candle, Hallel candle, is a thanksgiving or a testimony giving us life, sustaining us and enabling us to reach the season of joy and celebrate the great deliverance, the great redemption that God has given to his people. In the same way, the first two witnesses of the resurrection, there before the tomb, were the Marys. Praise the Lord. There are four cups in the Seder meal, and I wanted to mention these because the proclamation of each of these cups is very powerful, and it is, a, it, it, it is for us. It's, it's a confession of what Christ has done and will continue to do. The first one, from Exodus 6, God says, I am the Lord. I shall take you out from under the burdens of Egypt. Say, he will take me out. This is the sanctification cup. Again, consecrating us to accomplish God's purposes. The second one, I will rescue you from their service. Say, he will rescue us from hard labor. This is the cup of blessing where we're loosed from the curse. The third one, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great miracles. Come on. Say he will redeem us with great miracles. Come on, Lord. This is the cup of redemption, and it's referring back to those ten strikes, the judgments that do not come on the people of God because of the blood of the Lamb. And the fourth one, I shall take you to myself for a people. You shall be my people. I will be your God. This is the cup of restoration, a chosen generation, a holy nation. Say he will take us to himself. Just before the meal is eaten, and, you know, this service seems to be unfolding much like a Seder because a Seder will last two or three hours. This service hopefully won't do that. But in the middle of it, you actually eat a regular meal. So there's, you know, there's all of this advanced time, and the children, it's like an hour, two hours of reading all this stuff and going through all of these things that symbolize stuff. And the kids are starving, and tummies are rumbling. But just before the meal is eaten, typically an hour or so into the Seder, the leader pulls out the middle piece of matzah from three special pieces, the afikomen, and he holds it up and he commands the guests to behold the matzah. Look at the bread. And he points out the stripes and the piercing that's in the matzah. And then he breaks it 
and he takes it with a prayer and a blessing, and he puts it into a linen cloth and wraps it up. What does that remind you of? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was pierced for our iniquities. By his stripes we are healed. Behold the bread of heaven. And then wrapped in a linen cloth, what does that remind us of? What do we know about the passion story? Joseph of Arimathea came and took the body, took him down, wrapped him in a linen cloth, and did what? Hid him in the earth. Hid him in a new tomb. And the leader of the Seder then um, has the Afikoman hidden somewhere in the house. So, Ron, if you don't mind, if you can just hold this for me because I'm sprinkling the altar with the, the bread, the broken bread. Thank you, Jesus. Oh. Praise the Lord. I hope this is a blessing for you. Our story, friends, that we got in our Baptist church, in our Methodist church, in our a cappella church of Christ, in our Pentecostal church, this story of the gospel that we got is the old, old story that has been being demonstrated for thousands of years before Christ saying he was coming in all of these symbols, referring back to the great exodus in Egypt, and then fulfilled in Christ and telling it going forward for everyone who would believe of that great day when we would all witness together the final mass exodus when death is conquered forever. And we have entered into our inheritance through the Son. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Finally, the Dainu. Say Dainu. It's a Hebrew song. It's traditionally sung during the celebration of Passover. It was inaugurated later after you know, the, some of the original um, centuries. It has 15 verses. Now remember, all the people are still sitting around the table. The little kids are there. Now we're going to sing a song with 15. 15 verses. But it's called Dianu because after every verse, we sing Dianu. Dianu means it would have been enough. In other words, if God had only done whatever the verse was about, it would have been enough. But he kept doing. 15. And they correspond with the Song of Ascents in the Psalms, the 15 steps leading into the temple, and the 15 Psalms of Ascents that go up from glory to glory that the priests would sing. Psalm 120 through 134. Each verse recites one aspect of the Exodus deliverance. And after each verse, the celebrants say, Dainu. If God had only done such and such for us, it would have been enough. 
Five stanzas about leaving slavery. He brought us out of Egypt. He executed justice on the Egyptians. He executed justice upon their gods. He had slain their firstborn. He had given us their health and wealth. Dianu. Five stanzas of miracles. If he had only split the sea for us. He led us through on dry land. He drowned our oppressors. He provided our needs in the wilderness for 40 years. He fed us on manna. Dianu. Any one of those things, it had been enough if that's all he'd done. Five stanzas of being with God. He's given us the Sabbath to enter into rest. He led us to Mount Sinai. He gave us the Torah. He brought us up into the land of Israel and built the temple for us. Dianu, the Jewish people sing. For us... Every time, and I know, I know some of you, it's going to go into you, and there's going to be a little whisper on your lips. Something good is going to happen, a little thing that Jesus does, and you'll find yourself remembering, Diane, if that's all you ever did for me, Lord, it would have been enough. But you know what, really? If he had only washed our sins and come out of the tomb, it would have been enough. So there's a revelation in this about possessing a treasure, an inheritance that is bigger even than day-to-day prayers answered on our mortal journey. And once again, this is what the gospel is about. That being established in the reality of the resurrection to come the hope of glory, and somehow that knowledge sustaining and lifting us up through every season and every event in the mortal body. If Jesus had only died and been raised, it would have been enough. Dianu. Say Dianu. At the conclusion of the meal, the children are sent to search for the hidden matzah, that broken piece in, wrapped in the linen cloth. And the one who finds it brings it back to the father or the leader of the Seder and gets the ransom. Say ransom. First Timothy 2, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all. For even, Jesus said in Matthew 20, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom. And it's pictured right there for thousands of years before Christ and thousands of years after Christ at this time of year around the Seder Passover table. Say ransom. The entire telling of the story of Exodus with symbols on the table, eaten by the guests, fulfilled Uh, is filled with the prophetic signs pointing to Christ, the instruction God gave Israel to reenact the Seder every year forever so that the children of each successive generation would know the history of their redemption as the source of their identity. God, give us revival in telling our children the story of our redemption in Christ Jesus. And we have heard in this house That story going forth in two public school systems and beginning to multiply out as children are hearing the story of salvation and receiving the Lord Jesus. Dianu.
<laughs> the story of deliverance from the slavery of sin and the wages of sin, which is death. The Bible has a lot to say about death, has a lot to say about life after death, and it has a lot to say about a kind of living death of eternal separation from God after life. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says that one result of Jesus' death was to render powerless, I quoted it before, the devil's use of the fear of death and to release those who were their whole lives subject to bondage. And then we know I've read already from Paul's lengthy chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, where he says death no longer has any sting or the grave any victory since God has already made us victorious over both through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so today, we want to fill our quiver with some arrows of victory over death and the fear of it. Are you ready? So pick up your empty quiver and sling it over your shoulder and get ready. The first arrow of victory, John 5:24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Say from death to life. Put it in your quiver. You're going to use that in the coming days. Romans 6, 23, pick up your next arrow. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Say, the gift of God. Put it in your quiver. Pick up the next one. Romans, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and 55. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and mortal with immortality, then that saying, which is written, will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Say victory, victory. Over, death. over death. Put it in your quiver. Pick up your next arrow. Isaiah 20, oh, sorry, that's a repeat of the one we just got. Um, Romans 8, 23. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Say adoption as sons. Put it in your quiver. <laughs> Praise the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, pick up your next one. 1 through 4. We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. An eternal house in heaven not built with human hands. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Because we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So that this mortality may be swallowed up in life. Say eternal clothing. Put it in your quiver. 2 Corinthians 5.8, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and home with the Lord. Say confidence. confidence. Put it in your quiver. Pick up the next arrow. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there. Say citizenship in heaven. Put it in your quiver. Pick up your next arrow. 
See, this is why the kids' tummies were rumbling during the Seder. We're doing 15 arrows. We're almost there. We're almost there. Romans 6. We have been united with Christ in his death. We will be united with him in his resurrection. Say, united with him. Put it in your quiver. Pick up your next arrow. 1 Thessalonians 4. Brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe Jesus died and rose again. We believe God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Say, knowledge of life. Put it in your quiver. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. The Lord himself will come from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Say, shout from heaven. Put it in your quiver. Revelation 7, he will swallow up death forever. He will wipe all tears away from all faces and remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. Say, all tears wiped away. Put it in your quiver. Praise the Lord. Revelation 21, again. He will wipe every tear from every eye. There will be no more death or mourning, crying, or pain. Say, no mourning, crying, or pain. The old things passed away. Put it in your quiver. Philippians 1, 21 through 25. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That one trumps all over the fear of death. Put it in your quiver. Romans 8, I am convinced neither death nor life, angels or demons, present or future, powers, height or death, nothing in all creation can separate us. Say, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Put it in your quiver. Is it starting to get heavy? Can you feel the weight of it? I mean, this is just a scratch across a little bit of the reality of what we possess now. So wear it. Wear the glory. Wear that resurrection knowledge. Wear that assurance. Wear these declarations of Scripture. And let them go before you as your arrows of victory in every circumstance in your life day by day. Pick up the next one. We're almost there. This is the 15th one. Romans 14. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Say, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Put it in your quiver. And you use those arrows. In the coming days, shoot those arrows of victory over your family, your family members, your friends, over your circumstance. Hebrews 9, 27, just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that to face the judgment, death and judgment are a sure thing. The bottom line is you must be born twice in order to only die once. Being born once only you will die twice. And this is for every man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish 
Say, whoever believes. Look at your neighbor. Say, you are not going to perish. No second death for you. Hallelujah. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Beat the power of the first death and receive the promise of never tasting the second one today. Praise the Lord. Be born the second time. And so if there's anyone watching online, anyone here in this room, anyone watching this uh, message in future times, if you've never been born again, this is your day. This is your hour. This is the moment Christ is coming to reveal himself to you, saying, I am the bread of life. I am your life for the dead. I am your lamb, the exchange, life for life. I am your resurrection, your Savior, and your Lord. So if you've never been born the second time, today is that particularly joyous occasion, just like at the Seder prayer. He has saved us and brought us to this event. Celebrating the fact that Jesus, our Passover, Jesus, the first fruits from the dead, Jesus, our high priest, ever interceding for us, has through offering himself up, gone into the field of the world and tied the first fruits scarlet thread around your soul. Like the blood on the door of the houses in Egypt, you can be sure that the messenger of destruction will pass you by. You will come up out of the grave just as Israel came out of Egypt, up through the Red Sea and into the land of their inheritance as the consecrated, appointed people of God. Christ is risen. He's reigning until all things be put under his feet. And in the meantime, you are the messengers. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. And if Jesus had done nothing for each of us, and for the people of God as a whole. But deliver us from sin and death. Dianu. Dianu. It would have been enough. Can you stand to your feet? Still got your quiver on? Turn to your neighbor and say, it's resurrection day. Hallelujah, Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah, Lord. We hope you enjoyed this message. To order more great resources by Bonnie Chavda, visit us at chavdaministries.org. For a full catalog of our products, you can call us at 1-800-730-6264. God bless you.